Because this is a very interesting way of looking at the Dhamma. Okay, that you're you're asking Alex about morality. Yes. Yes. Guess what? All religions is a teaching in morality. See that. And the teachings of the Buddha is a teaching in morality. That's all there is. And in other words, morality is how we treat each other. And that our society is built in a quasi moral way. Where weapons and wars and uh, all kinds of things are, are happening. And there's there is a um, there is an issue. That humans have not learned to solve yet. And that is the issue of child discipline. We have not learned how to do it. Right. Okay. That how do you teach a child to be moral? The only way it can be done is through wisdom. When the child can see that what he is doing is wrong. Yes. No amount of rules, no amount of punishments, no amount of uh, metal detectors or anything that happens at any school board or anything that any adult says is not right. going to cause or not going to solve the issue of, in one particular example, uh, youth gun violence or violence yes. in general. That in fact, it's yes. always been uh, violence. The question is, what did the kid have available to pick up and use when he got unhappy? Right. Oh. I remember chasing a child down the yard with a butcher knife in my hand. I remember doing that, four years old. Yes. I do yes. not remember much of the circumstances other than I know where the kid lived, but I don't remember his name. Right. Okay. And I remember yeah. a whole lot of stuff that happened in that yard. But one thing that I will admit to is I do remember one time chasing a child down the yard holding a knife. Yes. Something had happened. OK. And the child um, did in fact, guess what? Here's something very interesting. That was the last time that that had happened. Yeah, that the fact that I do remember it probably is that which prevents me from doing it again. Right. Okay. That in fact, human beings, when they are born, they're not very well developed. But one hand, one thing that's for sure is they're one hundred percent animal. And that's one of the things that a lot of religions don't we, we want to set us apart and not see us ourselves as part of the animal world because God made us special. But if God right. made us special, then why did he make us human? Why didn't he make us perfect instead? Why did he make an Adam that had to have an Eve? And why did he have to build an Adam and an Eve that needed that apple? Yeah. Okay, so that's the whole point then is, is that we are born as an animal. Let's get over that fact. Right. All Except right. That. But the question is, what is morality? 
in the sense of animals. That when two cats are fighting, or when two dogs are fighting over a bowl of food, we humans would think that's immoral and the dog, you know, bad dog, right? right? Or when the dogs are in the house and jealous of one another and start to growl or maybe even start a, uh, a fight right in front of you. Right. A- and we see that as wrong. Right? And yet the dogs are just being dogs. They're just doing what yeah. dogs do. Yes. We can't fault okay. them for that. We can. It's just not making much sense, huh? Uh huh. And when you pet the dog and you find that big juicy tick, <laughs> we have the idea that that tick is bad. It's wrong. Right. Actually, no. It's just dangerous a bit for the dog. Mm-hmm. But we don't see that. That we right. think of the tick as bad or something. So here we go. It's humans that have invented morality. Yes. And without it, we could not have society. We would, in fact, kill each other. Humans are pretty violent, and we also are pretty knowledgeable about weapons. That makes us dangerous. Right. If we were, if we had remained at the level of sticks and not even graduated to knives, just baseball right. bats, that's the only weapons that humans could have. Guess Even what? when we don't think of apes, apes use yeah. sticks. <laughs> right. Yeah. And when and they're finished with the stick, and when they're finished with the stick, they lay it down. Humans keep our sticks. Oh yeah. And we polish them, and we make them better, and we sharpen them, and we turn them into steel, and then we put them into a barrel. And <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just that whole thing, and and every improvement we make is just more dangerous. And some of the most dangerous weapons that humans have now are intellectual weapons. Right. Like propaganda and the news. Huge weapons. Mm -hmm. Huge important weapons that harm a lot of people and biological weapons. But the point is that without morality, without some kind of morality, we would have already been extinct. Yeah, probably a few times over, huh? Mm-hmm. We'd have killed each other three times over if we had no teaching of morality. So somewhere along the line, humans started to get the idea of that, in fact, it's instinctual in the animals. So the idea of it could come easily enough, and that's them versus us. And what is an us, and how big is us? In other words, the tribe. Right. Now, in South Carolina, back in the 1950s, in rural South Carolina, there were generally three tribes. The white people, the black people, and those who didn't fit in to either one, which was me. And a, yeah. and a Jewish and a Jewish friend that I had, okay. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. so, um, by the way, one of the Jewish boys that I knew, who was a bit younger than I was, I taught him how to play chess. His name was Ben Bernanke. He happened to have been the uh, Fed chairman for a number of years, and I knew him personally in high school. Oh shit! That's very cool. No way. Wow. And you guys played chess together. You taught him how to play chess. 
But mostly I was renting his older cousin, uh, Nathan Goldman. Yeah. Who was, who was also into politics for most of his life. But anyway, back to the point that I'm making is, is this tribalism that we have. We have tribalism and that it's instinctual in the sense of where are my boundaries? Where is the unknown? Because the unknown is dangerous. Another tribe is out there and they've got better weapons than we do. Or in the case of the wolves, they set boundaries too. Right. In fact, they've done a lot of research about the wolves and come to find out that they're human. <laughs> right, right. They they took a huge number of timber wolves, radio collared them, and, and set them loose in um, Yellowstone. They yeah. did that 30 or 40 years ago, and they've been tracking them now, and they've got it down to seven colonies, and those colonies are the tribes, and, they, and those... Um, uh, the data is solid. It's really yeah. solid. No, that that radio collar goes into another radio, uh, um, uh, another tribe, and it stops right there. Wow. And meanwhile, here they are just going along in circles around like this, okay? Just staying within that community, okay? Yeah. So that seed then is uh, is what uh, goes into humans having things like racism. Right. Okay. Dividing up the culture between that which I know and am familiar with and that which I am not. Because the other is dangerous. You cannot right. stay out of your, you cannot leave your territory. That's getting even more and more so. I would think that humans over time would be able to integrate and there's been a large number of experiments but right now things are getting downright tribal yes right in the most civilized areas right even in the most civilized places where you would expect people to be able to use their wisdom to use their noggin to come out of their uh tribalism because in the way that we look at it it's actually immoral yeah very much so mm -hmm. and unnecessary Right. Slinging dukkha when there is no need to sling any dukkha. Right. Tribalism is one of the main causes of that. That's what I mean. That's just the one word that we can use. It talks about immigration. Right. And 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 population movement. Any time that you see at one time, all humans were nomads. Right. And we ran across each other, and the only thing that we knew to do when we crossed each other's paths was to kill each other. Yep. Host and and so, right, that's part of the reason I think that the Anathols have died out. But there's also the big possibility that, oh, they didn't die out, they merged. Right. Which is then getting over the tribalism, getting over the otherness. And making friends with them and be in community with them. And pretty soon the two distinct species devolve into one species. Right. How do you suppose that this relates to the Christian Bible story of the Tower of Babel? It's one thing that comes in my mind when we talk like I, this. I have always thought from, uh, from my childhood times about that. 
that it was a story of when people get together that don't speak the same language, they can't communicate. That's what I got from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I don't think that God calls them to have different uh, languages all of a sudden when they were all speaking the same language. No, God calls them to have separate languages all along. Right. And when we think of God, we think of natural law. Natural law. So the natural law is is that these diverse languages learn could not learn to get along with each other. So whatever project they had mutually going on fell apart. Right. Do you think this has much to do with like the Sephir Wharf hypothesis? The idea that this language and this culture is intrinsic to one's perspective and being. Is this something that we can clean in the same way yes. we clean up so much patterning? Right. Once you okay, so this we're just using this particular thing right now as an example, which would be tribalism, racism, otherism, judging a book by its cover. Yes. Okay. That any time that we recognize that we're doing that and also recognize the danger in doing that, then we can. Aha, I see that. I see that I'm judging this person by the clothes he wears. Clown suit. Okay. In fact, I'll give you a clear, clear example of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, let us say weeks or months ago, but not too long this year. Um, the bacon house that was next door that we used to live in has been rented out. And there was quite a kerfuffle with that, but the cars going in and out, and now the place is really junky. I think there's 18, though I didn't actually count them, um, uh, gas bottles all under the house in a pile, as well as 10,000 other pieces of junk. Okay. And then because of this, he moved in during November's rains, now that I remember it. Uh, the whole place got really, really muddy with all the traffic. Okay, yeah. so this is the situation. Okay, so this is the that's the cover. Okay, right. And all the rocks that they put out so that they could have driving. But that was all part of the moving in. But it took days and days to move in. And now I haven't heard much from him except that he's quite now a bit of a gardener. Because the house was absolutely a jungle. I mean, it was like uh, 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 Sleeping Beauty's palace by the time the prince got there. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay. Well, guess what? Today, Tam brings me a handful of leaves. And it turns out that, uh, uh, that there's plants here, you know, because it's all legal in in, uh, uh, in Thailand now. And so I says, oh, I want to go see. And I go out there, and he's got a whole garden. <laughs> and he actually picked up one of the potted plants and handed it to me to take home. Well, okay. how about that? <laughs> right. And he's quite a nice guy. I let my boundaries know Mm -hmm. that I don't know this guy and stop judging him because in fact the judgment that I would use would be that of your typical redneck because he had all of the rednecks equipment doing all the redneck stuff that'd be happening in South Carolina so obviously this guy is a redneck right no he's Thai (laughs) 
<laughs> gotcha. Okay. So yeah. that that is a clear example right there of that tribalism. And we yeah. take visualities and then decide that we already know who and what this person is. Right. Or the first uh huh. Or the first thing that we hear about them, if we hear about someone, and so pe people are describing, they may want to give a clear and balanced discussion: something good, something bad, and all we hear is the bad. And now all of a sudden, we've got trepidation about this person, mm hmm, because right. we're we're always looking for the danger, right? Because of this tribalism instinct that we have, we're always out for looking for danger because, in fact, the jungle was dangerous. Right. And it wasn't the rhinos that were the most dangerous. It was that other tribe of humans. <laughs> yeah, right. Why were they dangerous? Because they were just animals, but they had weapons. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wrong. So that means then that morality is actually a man-made but extremely interesting and perhaps even an important issue. Yeah. Because morality, in fact, may be life-threatening, life, you know, changing, matter of life or death is almost always a matter of morality anyway. Right. That's why I would put morality in that category of important, because it winds up being a life or death issue in many cases. Yes. All right. That's at the extreme. That's where we start out. We start out as animals and we're introduced into a society that hopes for morality, but doesn't know how to do it because we're all in it still animals. And right. so what so and so what the religious path is all about, whether it is Islam or Christianity, is trying to teach the people to be moral. There are consequences to immorality, especially if it runs rampant. Right. That at best our society can only tolerate an occasional bad guy. But we actually right. have to count on each other. And, and the United States government, as an example, is, is that you can't make laws and, and punishments enough. You've got to have cooperation. Right. We have to have a certain right. level of decency. It's a level of morality. This is what happened in the 1950s with uh, uh, Charlie McCarthy or, uh, or whoever it was. Uh, have you no decency, sir? Have you mm -hmm. no morality at all? And that was enough to finally shut him up. He was the one who was finding a communist under every uh, Hollywood yeah. leaf. Every last place he wanted to look. Mm -hmm. Any place he wanted to look, because he confirmation bias, he found what he was looking for. Okay. Right. And it was racism. Okay. The racism yes. between, between um, capitalism and what is called communism. Right. Now I use if you use if you express it like this, communism, that's different than communism because communism is propaganda. It's a lie. Right. 
and it never right. did work. It was always totalitarian. Russia has always been totalitarian money or uh, uh, land grabbers. Yes. That's what it's been yep. since <laughs> all along. Okay, so um, uh, and not only that, but the people who used to own the land are not Russian. Therefore, they're not us. Therefore, it's quite okay to kill them off and be moral about it. Just let's mm-hmm. just nuke the place, except that we want the land too. And if we nuke the place, we nuke the land as well as the folks. Right. Okay. Now, there is such a thing as a neutron bomb, but let's not get into that kind of stuff because Putin doesn't have one. Okay, so uh, let's get back to the point, though, then, that all religions are moral teachings. And that in a way, the, the kind of stories that have developed and been told about Buddhism or the Buddha to turn it into a religion is for this moral purpose. Right. Okay. And so um, I'm thinking now about a comment that was made by a Western well-known monk about Bhikkhu Buddhadasa when this monk said that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa is in danger of destroying Buddhism. Okay. Why is that? Is because it's actually necessary to teach children a bit about morality. We can't let them go wild. We can't give them permission to do any and everything. This was basically what the Buddha talked about. Um, In Sutta number 38, he talks about that it's all greed. It's almost like in those primitive days of the Buddha, it was quite violent, quite ramshackle. Because the rich boys were just out there, boys will be boys, wrecking havoc. And they did Mm -hmm. not have a um, uh, Mayberry RFD kind of Andy Griffith sort of fella to to manage it. Okay, so um, this this whole point about it is is that over that 2,500 years, this thing called morality has kicked into gear in many, many different societies. Mm -hmm. Okay, and because of the world travel that we have now, we're beginning to, just beginning to homogenize humanity that has been diverse for, you know, hundreds of, maybe 100,000 years or more, depending upon land bridges and all of that kind of stuff. But there has been diversity and that the way that we dealt with diversity was with a weapon because they were dangerous and both each other thought each other were dangerous and off we go down that dangerous path yeah okay and so the whole point of the teaching of religion now i keep grinding this in is to teach us how to get along with one another that's what jesus was saying is is that if you have a traveler bite him in as a guest Right. Now, uh, even in many of the Islamic countries, they have that as a standard. You have to provide for a traveler if he shows up, especially if he's in danger from the environment, that you give him refuge. Okay. But when 10,000 of them come. Yeah. Okay. Big deal. Mass migrations is what becomes dangerous. Okay. 
And so that's where the religions actually break down. We can do it one on one. But this mass herd idea is, is that there's too many of them and, and it's dangerous. That that's actually happened with Germany. There's too many Ukrainians. Yep. And, right. and that kind of thing. And before that, there was too many Muslims. There was too many this, right. too many that. And, and the only thing that's, that is there is, is that they're not German. Right. Now, occasionally, an individual who is not German can come in and join the society. Onesies and twosies we can handle, but 20,000? <laughs> All right, and, and so that means, that means then that um, mass religions break down. Because uh, they automatically have this us and them. And that the humanity then will go back into tribalism. Because even within the tribe, the teachings are, hey, come on, come get with the flock. And this right. is good when the tribe only needs to maintain itself. But as mm. soon as it bumps into another, it just even more right. of an uproar. We see that today. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Look at the, the issue of immigration, where in fact the United States in many reasons and for many decades has needed immigrants. Yes. But all they have to do is, is just mention immigrants are bad people. And all of a sudden, those people who left and lose their Christianity about you're supposed to invite a guest in. Love thy neighbor, all that. Yeah. Love thy neighbor as thyself, except the immigrants, because they're not Southern Baptist or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So wow. here's the whole point is, is that then morality is not for the greater group, even though it's applied to the right. greater group, that morality is for the individual, you and me, in the way that we deal with people. That in right. fact, as I was saying, the entire teachings of the Buddha is a teaching of morality in the sense of cleaning out one's mind. Right. And when the mind is clean, we don't hurt other people. And when uh, we think about hurting people, sending that evil email, then we catch ourselves and don't send it. That in fact, uh, Abraham, one of the things that was famous about Abraham Lincoln that was in several of the biographies was that he would write nasty grams. He would just <laughs> let up hold it. And then he had filed those in the drawer and they were never sent from the White House. That's beautiful. That's a very nice speech. Well, the Buddhas, though, will write that nasty gram in their mind without even thinking about it. And then they will look at this nasty gram that I'm composing. And I'm not about to send this thing. Let it go. Take right. those thoughts out. We have thoughts of harm. We have thoughts of getting even. We have thoughts of uh, revenge. We have right. thoughts of get that job done no matter who's standing in my way. Kind of mentality. And we apply it in small things. And we apply it in politics. We apply it everywhere. Mm -hmm. We apply that thought system that we have been harmed. We have been hurt. We have been victimized. And we need retribution. Which is still part of that tribalism. This is part of that instinct. Okay, pay back. We put that on our God as well. We say we have a vengeful God, or we have a wrathful God, or da 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 da. da. Uh -huh. and it's all just 
big time rationalization at the national level or at the mm -hmm. religious level. Or at the religious so level. Now, there can be a beautiful teaching in there if you can find it. And that is, oh, this God is a wrathful, vengeful God, which means that if I stay moral and clean, I'm on his side. Let him go do his own dirty work. I don't have to do that. That's not my business. Let me See. just stay on the clean side. So that could actually depends yeah. upon which way you use it. It's either yeah. Dukkha or it's Dukkha Naroda. Right. As most things so if you're the victim of the wrench of uh wrathful vengeful god okay that's yeah. different than being his ally his good buddy right. his friend <laughs> and we learn to be friends with nature this is how we become moral is by learning how to be friendly and this is young as well then carl mm -hmm. young this is the shadow. Yes. This is integrating our darkness. Mm hmm. Uh, exactly. And so we even have to make friends with our darker nature. Otherwise, that darker nature is going to take control from time to time and start slinging right. uh, duca balls. Yeah, left and right, up and down. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. Okay. Now, when I first discovered this, I didn't like it very much. Yeah, why was that? What about I it? Didn't, you know, I like, didn't like that the entire teachings of the Buddha was nothing but a morality teaching. Ah. Because that's all I got in Sunday school. And, right, right. And right. it's all you hear growing up mostly. This, 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 this. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That in fact, when I, I think the Christianity has changed from this, 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 and this, look at this, and, and, and get, clean up your act. Now the story is, oh, good Christians, you have all been so good and all cleaned up your act. Let's go get those immigrants. Let's go get those Democrats. Yeah. Let's go get those politicians. Let's go get them blacks. Let's go get them Jews. Right. <laughs> Let's go get the crooks. Yeah. The criminals. Oh, absolutely. The criminals or the drug addicts. I hear about the drug addicts all the time from those. That and the drug dealers. Right. OK. All of the yeah. bad people out there. OK. Yeah. The addicts and the dealers, isn't it funny how they put them together? And the cops. Never now. minding the whole system. Yeah, and the <laughs> cops too, absolutely. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> okay. And it's, it's always anybody, and it's always the other. Yeah. And right. so because of that, now we're getting back to that point about judging a book by its cover mm -hmm. and seeing the cop as a cop as a clown, as a pig, as dangerous, instead of seeing right. him as a man doing his job. Right. At, uh, ignorantly, but he's doing what he knows how to do. Exactly, what we're asking them to do. Yeah, that we are as citizens paying them to do, yeah. but not training him well enough to do it. Right. I see it a lot when I see, I used to feel uh, very, I don't know what you call it, I think we'd call it triggered or something like that, when I'd watch how the police are equipped these days. Because after I got home from the wars, I noticed they wore the same things I wore over there. And in the back of their vehicle, they had patrol rifles instead of assault rifles, but it's the same thing, different name. And I used to be so concerned when I'd see it because 
I couldn't understand why anybody wanted to bring back here what was going oh, on over there. Because we got rednecks over here, too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so wild to me. And then people want to act like it's crazy when you have stuff. I had a friend, he redeployed from Iraq. And when he got home, he had a lot of trouble. And he did the whole thing where, you know, I'm going to be loud. I'm going to attract a crowd. And that crowd, eventually, they're going to call the police. And they call this suicide by cop now, you know, where mm -hmm. you have the police come and you act in such a way. They did it in California as well. The man took off his body armor and literally told the police, take my life. Because he understood that that was how those people were being employed. And that is the unfortunate dukkha of that situation is we just, we ask for it and then we act outraged when it shows up at the doorstep. <laughs> and it's so sad to me. <laughs> And I'm so happy now that when I see them, I realize because of the teachings, you know, that this is a human. This is not, they're not taking on a strange act uh, all on themselves. I need to be this evil thing. What is evil anyways, you know, other than something we really, really don't like, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because from well, another perspective, it's the same guy. Um, when an individual is on his own, he is much more likely to have the self-preservation instinct readily available. But when right. we get into a mob and get whipped up, all of a sudden, uh, it's we, it's us, and we all have the same goal. I mean, uh, a very, very clear example of that is Mary Shelley uh, uh, Frankenstein out of the, you know, everybody in town was scared of the monster until finally, they got into the uh, into the gathering. Everybody brings their pitchfork. They all get whipped up, and yep. then they go getting. Yep. Okay, that's because oh. of the power of the mob. A good teacher. And that and that and that uh, mob issue always is reacting to the issue of tribalism. It's our tribe now. We have gathered the tribe together. And now the tribe goes after that other, oh, the monster. And that's why the Sangha is so important for us to grow. Right. We have to have that Sangha because we can be there together without having an enemy that is actually the cohesion of the Sangha that keeps it together, not fear. That fear yeah. is the only motivator that people have other than this altruism, let's be together because we enjoy each other's company. Right. Which Jesus taught. That's the agape yeah. love. That's the brotherhood. Okay. Right. But now Christianity has uh, maintained itself through other isms rather than through community. Right. Hmm. And so the religions wind up being ordinary because they don't have that whole idea of each one of us must be moral. And we have to remember to do that. Now, here's a very interesting issue. We teach children, thou shalt not hurt, thou shalt not steal, whatever like that. And um, we then give a punishment that will happen. But the child hasn't experienced that yet. Right. Then, in fact, every child will remain a thief until he gets caught and punished. And then his uh, and then he can see the dukkha itself. Yeah. Punishment. OK. 
except within the Sangha, we have a higher standard than that. In fact, instead of punishing, we rehabilitate. Right. Especially for the small stuff. Now, that depends upon whether it's an inside job or an outside job. If a monk takes something from another monk, that's investigated and dealt with within the Sangha with the understanding of rehabilitation. If the theft is for someone on the outside and the police come, the monks don't have much choice about it. They have to just, okay, you go do what you need to do. You're out of here. Okay. And so that's the way that the priest should have been treated by the Catholic Church. Yes, right. Instead of, of, because because they had rotten apples in their barrel, they kept the rotten apples in their barrel and it rotted the whole barrel. Right. And we Jesus said this, he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's. God's. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is what we're uh, talking about. You, we, each one of us owes things to the government. Right. Why? Because the government exists, and that's all that's necessary. It's part of reality. Right. <laughs> even, <laughs> even, as, even as ill-defined as it is, it's actually defined yes. according to the way that we personally have to deal with it. Right. So Janet right. Yellen doesn't see the uh, the U.S. government quite the same way as the dog catcher does. Right. Hmm. Or animal control police, I think they're called now. <laughs> but in any case, we all have our own understanding and we have to deal with reality. The question is, can we deal with reality happily or can we right. or we have to deal with reality as if it was an imposition upon me that I'm the victim here. Yeah, and you hear this. People say, oh, I didn't ask to be born. No, I don't think you had to ask. It just happens. But then every birth after that, every spiritual birth, that's, if we can catch it, what we can stop. Mm-hmm. By seeing dependent co-arising. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So we have, that's why we want to remember to remember to look, is this tribalism that I've got in my hand that I'm about to sling at someone, or is it a, uh, a goofball, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That we, ha- we have to start looking for ways of uh, treating each other well. Right. So that's with the noble mind. So getting back to that child who is taught as a set of rules, when the child figures out for himself, he will stop doing that. The problem is, is that so much stuff happens that we get no obvious retribution for. In other words, slapping my sister, I might get retribution, but hating my sister. Right. Now that's a little, I, yeah, I don't even recognize inside. And there I am full of all of that hatred for her that only comes right. up when she does this or that. Yeah, and then I'm right. boiling inside. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. so uh, this is one of the things that we have to start recognizing is that our yeah. thoughts precede everything, and they are in fact action. They they, they are the start. They're the seeds of action. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a Taoist saying that in fact uh, the thought, if you say and feel, you will then speak. If you speak it, you will do it. If you do it, it becomes a habit. And if it becomes a habit, it's then your destiny. Right. 
And so this whole idea about people having a destiny and a predestination because God did it a long time ago. No, we do it moment by moment. Our choice. Yes. Our that. choice. Are we going to harm ourselves and harm others or are we going to refrain from harming ourselves and harming others? Or the better right. one would be that thought never comes to mind. Right. And only through sati can we make that happen. Over and over and over again, because we have to get, gain control over several layers. We have to and gain control why. over the over the world. And then we have to gain control over the instincts. We have to become uh, fully human, not half animal, badly trained and half human. We have to become fully human, which means wisdom directs our intents. This is where the word intention comes from. Okay. Right. Now there's two ways the word intention is used. One is for the long term, like the uh, Chinese government intends to do the uh, Belt Road project. Good luck right. with that now. <laughs> yeah, no shit. All right. So plans are kinds of intentions. But we're not talking about that kind of intention. We're talking about the way the mind leans. This is the attitude or the inclination or the niggle or the um, the, the push. It's right. the thing that gives rise to the thought. Our attitudes give rise to the thoughts. So a really clear example of that is you just had a long bout, a prize fight. The winner goes to his room, the loser goes to his room. What kind of thoughts are each one of them having? One of them is the fight is over. How relieved I am that fight is over. Oh, I really enjoy this massage. And they may even have thoughts about I'm going to quit boxing. But one of them doing with the mentality of a winner and the other one is doing it. Oh, I got to get out of this. Oh, this yep. is too much for me. OK, he's doing it from the mentality of the loser. So. The thoughts that they had then were influenced by the events of the moment and the attitude that they had in their mind about the events of the moment. This is Sama Sankapa. We have to start changing our attitude about things to come out of that victim's attitude. And the really only way that we can do that is with success. This is the value of Anapanasati is because we keep getting success. This is a damned easy thing to do is just change your mind. And it's also so valuable and wholesome that we can get the benefit out of that. And when we recognize, yeah. oh, I can change my mind. Oh, I can do this. Then, oh, I can do this is that new attitude that's, oh, this is hard. When we talk about Anapanasati and we talk about the tetrads, in the third tetrad, when we talk about letting go and throwing back, is this because once we have gladdened the mind and made it ready for Oh, work, that's in the fourth. That's in the oh, fourth. Oh, I'm sorry, yes, fourth. Right, yes. okay, right. That is dead, okay, that in fact the story of uh, uh, Ama uh, Gautami is what we every one of us do. There was a woman who had her baby to die. And she didn't like it a bit. And so she carried this dead baby to every doctor in the community, everywhere, all over the place. And some of them began to say, well, why don't you go to the Buddha? He's not a doctor, but he'll 
so eventually she came to the Buddha, thinking that he was going to do magic medicine. Right. And so he gave her the job of you've got to go take your baby and go to house after house until you get 10 anise seeds, sometimes called mustard. Anise is uh, uh, the tree. To, if you've ever been to an Indian restaurant, they'll either have it on your table or at the uh, uh, the checkout where there's little seeds, uh, very spicy. Okay. But the tick is, is that it, each one of these anises has to come from a home or a house that has never known death. And she did not make it back to the to the Buddha with that baby. That was her lesson. She had to learn for herself over and over again that every household knows death. You have to let go when something dies. Yes. Let it go. Oh. <laughs> And this is the fourth Yeah, and Jesus <laughs> had the same thing. I mean, Jesus said it in a really stark way. He said, let yeah. the dead bury the dead. Right. Because it is the dead, who those who are living in the past, who do bury the dead. Yes. Okay, let the dead bury the dead. Let's come out of clinging to the things that die on us. Yes. Because everything's going to die on us. Right. Your dad, your sister, your dogs, everybody's going to die on you. If you live to the ripe old age, the older you get, the more you recognize everybody dies on us. We lose everybody. Even we outlive our nurses. (laughs) Sometimes we outlive our grandkids. Uh-huh. But, but we lose stuff on a regular basis. I don't know how old I don't know how old you are, but here's something. I have probably I haven't counted them up. I might do that someday, but I have gone through now more laptops than I went through motorcycles, which is something in the twenties. <laughs> And women, which is something in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And yet we get attached to this laptop. We get attached yeah. to this motorcycle. We get attached, and right. that motorcycle is gone. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. When it runs out of gas, it's not the motorcycle that we were riding a moment ago. Now this is a piece of junk. <laughs> Poor heavy ass piece of metal. And that's because our attitude oh. changes based upon circumstances, and we do it ignorantly. We reckon we don't keep right. track of what attitude that we have in the moment. Right. Because if we have wisdom, we can catch that. Right. We can catch. What's my attitude? Right. When we see it, maybe we don't change it immediately, but when we sit with it, when we reflect on it. Then we can see all this too is dukkha. This too is dukkha. And we do that enough times. And so then we begin to see even our attitudes give us dukkha. Right. Because they're a type of existence. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's the uh, it's the back attitude of a loser, of the victim, of something's bigger. Something got to me. Right. Ouch! It hurt me. <laughs> yes. Oh wow! And we go right back into that childhood instinct. Right. We start making a them and an us. Mm-hmm. We get the chairs itself. Rather than waking up and saying, hey, I did that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hmm. I can't blame wow. it on something else. I did it. I did it. I'm a goofball, and that's okay. Why do you suppose it is that we started in the first place with this idea? Does it just make things interesting? Is it just... No, it's taught. Okay. This is taught. Everybody uh, that you know that's older than you are had it before you did. Oh. Right. Why do people stay in monasteries? Because they recognize, at least at one point, that this world is a toilet bowl and we need to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I got you. That makes a lot of sense to me. So, like we were talking before, I remember talking with you and with DJ and talking about how, you know, someday there's no more Buddhas. Someday there's just whatever this fucking shit is, you know? When that Ooh. happens, somebody will figure it out. That's the mm. whole quality of the human race. Wow. I mean, we're talking about morality. Look how many yeah. decent stabs there has been made at trying to teach morality to human beings. Okay. I mean, without Christianity, I, can you imagine what this place is going to be like? <laughs> if we're, if, if in fact, if, if in fact there's any humans left. Right. If that's not the end of Christianity and humans, huh? Right, uh-huh. Bullshit. Oh, wow. So the whole thing is just what it is. There's right. a beauty in that. Right? And the beauty is, is that we have a choice. Right. That's the beauty that nobody really understands that we've got a choice. Are we going to choose the wholesome? Are we going yeah. to naturally follow the downhill path let gravity pull us back through instinct into the past. Oh. I hear this when I hear about Satan being cast out. Mm -hmm. But it's not as if he cast himself out. He was cast out because he decided to rise up or whatever. He got some wild hair in his ass and decided he was going to do something <laughs> other than what was wholesome. Huh? All, right, all right. Let us say that every one of us has multiple personalities and devil is one of them. Everybody has that devil. That, in fact, that's the instinct. Yeah. The instinct for greed, for power, in order to protect me oh. from God. Right. Greed for power, greed for, yeah. that's an important point. Greed for power is, is right. for to protection. Protect yeah, from nature. Mm -hmm. But it never works. 
Right. So, so that puts out the point about what about spiritual powers that these guys keep wanting. Right. The question then is, is that why do they want them and who are yeah. they going to use them on? Right. Are they going to take their spiritual powers to Las Vegas or the what or where? <laughs> right. Wow. Man, that's rough for them. Huh? Oh. And, and when we recognize that, no, that the real issue is, is that we're not managing our fear very well. Right. We want power right. over other people. Now, the whole point about the spiritual power, power is to control, to get your way to harm others. So power and dukkha are related together. Right. If you want power, that's because you already have and will continue to have dukkha, whether you, which direction it's going in. And whichever direction it's going in, it cycles around. What comes around goes around. That's the cycle yeah. of samsara. Yeah. So if we understand that right at that point of when things contact us, what attitude that we have is you can change your attitude. You've got it wired. That's the easiest thing to change is the attitude. Then right. the thoughts are more difficult to change. And then our speech, once we've said it or once that email has been written, it's hard to retrieve it again. Right. Yeah, that's okay. quite the act to write the letter and put it in your drawer. Mm -hmm. Especially when you know it's there the whole time. Mm -hmm. but you yeah, keep a very, it. very long draft list in your email box <laughs> not a very few letters sent and a whole lot of drafts <laughs> yeah huh? right on so how does one go about oh, how do i question that? i ask that question what comes after morality there's nobility ah, actually Actually, if you think about it in one way, there is nothing after morality. The morality happens to be the result or the end point. That in fact, what we're really looking for is how does the enlightened mind behave? Pretty well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, so. And this is why we look for this to happen again and again, like you're talking about. We had one thing happen this time, but that's what happened. Let's make it happen again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. We're right. going to have thoughts about the wholesome ones. Every time we catch ourselves doing something immoral, even if it's just in the attitude, let's right. change that. And that's okay. the process of letting go, throwing mm -hmm. back. Okay. That's okay. Start again. So here's an example, and this has happened at least once or maybe more times in reality. And that is, imagine that it is an old Jewish priest using the same knife that he has used over and over again, whether he's called a rabbi or, or whatever, but he's the one who kills the goats in town. They do it in a ritualized way. And he goes out there to kill this particular goat who has this particular expression on his face. And it gets this old Jewish uh, executioner, this uh, um, uh, ceremonially kosher, and he sees this animal, 
and he recognized he can't do this. This is yeah. enough. I see what I'm about to do. And he sets that knife down and he walks back into the house. And then every time he is time for him to kill another one, he'll remember this one. And he may in short order actually stop his business. Okay. He can see what he's doing. So that's an example now, because he was already doing the right moral thing. This was kosher. This was God's law. This is how you're supposed to do it. But then even a higher level of compassion, a higher level of wisdom hit him. The wisdom of Dukkha came to him and he recognized what he was doing and recognized he can't do this. All right. That's a good lesson for us. Every time we mentally pick up some sort of thing, metaphorically a knife, that we're about to stab into something in a ritualized, fully permitted way, and we still recognize, no, this is wrong. Let's not do this. Right. Okay, so you've heard me talk about action that leads to the end of action. Okay, so this is the example of that is, is that when we see the action, so the real uh, action is not doing the action. The real action is seeing the action and then stopping it. And that will then bring about the end of action. We don't do that kind of stuff much anymore. So going back to that child, we have to be able to see the dukkha. And then we choose to do the right thing automatically anyway. When we can see dukkha as dukkha, when we see this is wrong as this is wrong. Right. This is dangerous. This is harmful. This is to uh, to be avoided. And so when we begin to see dukkha, that's why it's the first noble truth. It's really hard. I mean, I could talk for hours and hours. In fact, that's all we've been doing today is talking about that first noble truth. Is can we see the Dukkha? Because if we can see the Dukkha, now we have a choice about whether we're going to see continue it or not. So the real issue of the Dukkha is that we can't see our greed and our ill will. We can't see it. What hides it? Just I imagine. Until we do. Right. Until we do. If we keep looking, we will see. And when we see, we make choices. Right. And when we make the same choices, the right choices over and over again, we can say, hey, I'm really glad that I've been doing it that way. But this is a better way of doing it. I feel proud of myself rather than uh, caught in a system. That old Jewish rabbi was caught in a system. It's called kosher, among other things. The Torah. Okay. This is one of the reasons that people hide in the monastery. They don't hide there. This is one of the people reasons people choose the monastic life. Uh-huh. They realize that when they wake up, they see the dukkha in so many systems. This mm-hmm. world is a system grasping at systems. Right. This this is a uh, a, a toilet. Yeah. Right. We live in a, yes. we live in a toilet, and sometimes we can swim around, and sometimes we get the biggest piece of shit dropped off on us, and then down the sewer we go. <laughs> and we don't wake up to the fact that we chose this. We're living in this toilet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Man, that's tough. <laughs> I went to visit our friends at the at the Lao Wat. Uh, oh, yesterday. good. I stopped uh-huh. there. Well, it was unfortunate. I feel like the the they call him their master. I'm not certain of his name. I didn't really catch it. But when I went to open the gate there, so they had an empty parking lot. There was five or six children that were outside of the little apartments across the street from it. And they yelled at me, hey, don't go in there. And so I smiled. And, you know, I love talking to the children. They're nice children. So I said, well, why is that? They said, you're not supposed to go in there. Nobody's in there. I said, okay. I said, did they tell you to tell people that? They said, yeah. I said, well, I'm here to see the head monk. No, I just want to say hello to my friends. I said, are you guys going to be okay if I walk inside, you know? Oh, he's okay. He's okay. Because they couldn't understand that I said head monk at first. I think they thought I said chipmunk or something weird. But when I went and I rang the doorbell, I couldn't ring anyone. I rang it. This times, was a Lawat. They would know the They would know the word Achan. Acha. Okay. I will yeah. remember that for the next time. But I remember Achan that when I went teacher, in. teacher. Maha means the uh, uh, head monk. They also know the word Chawat, which means the abbot. Chawat. Ah, that's the one. Okay. So what is unfortunate about this particular Watt is they've been targeted, apparently, for burglaries and other such things. And I don't know what it is to extinguish fear in a human. I know for me it involves just looking at it over and over. But this poor guy, I think he may have been... You ever heard the the saying, getting treated by a chihuahua? You you think all these uh, big bad things are coming through the woods at you, so you scramble up a tree and you look down and it's a chihuahua and you're like, oh, fuck, it's chihuahua oh you don't even bother to oh. listen to the fact that chihuahuas sound a particular way They're, they don't sound like wolves <laughs> no exactly we just go right up the tree right so this poor guy now this is now the second time that i've went there that it's been like i i have a feeling he's concerned and i don't know how to bridge that gap exactly because um i understand it i get it it makes sense to me that if you have your house knocked over which that is what it is, but at the same time, I'm a little confused as to how to approach it. Okay, one of they the things that so. is commonly done, one of the things that's commonly done here in Asia is, is that when a, when a wad is formed, people will actually go intentionally to buy houses close by. They do that within uh, um, uh, the Jewish community also. That in fact, yeah. they intentionally do it that way because you got to walk to the synagogue. So wherever mm. the synagogue is, people. So more than likely, these kids that are there playing in the lot, the parking lot of the Watt, live in that area. Yeah, that's, that's why when I came back person. out, I let them know. I went over and I shook all their hands. I said, my name is Alex. My name is Alex. My name is Alex. What is your name? You know, all six of them. I shook their hands. And I said, hey, I said, I know that you guys are out here, you're doing such a good job for your community. You know, I appreciate how you're looking out for all of us and everything. That's so brave of you guys to talk to these weird white guys that are walking around here and, and poking <laughs> around in these areas. So I know that you guys care a lot. I said, so I'm sure that the, when, when the master comes out and talks to everyone again, will you let him know that Alex came by? He just wanted to say hello to his friends and that I was sorry that I didn't meet up with them at that point, but that I made sure to thank the kids. Again. So I'm hoping that put a little pop pop for them because right. i thought the same thing i figured if those kids are out there and they're okay. that you know hey don't go in there then they're doing a good job of what they're told to do you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so here's exactly a question what here's a question mm-hmm. what time of the day and what day of the week did you go so it was yesterday it was in the early afternoon 
like probably okay. like three something. Right. Something. That that's mm-hmm. not a good time to go. Okay. After what is the best not, time? Mid mid morning is the best time to go, and the best okay. day to go is on the weekend. And Sunday is the okay. best time of all because that's it's sort of like uh, 10 a.m. So that they can get the chanting and the monks and everybody's community and all of that kind of stuff. And then they party down until about 1.30 and then and everybody's gone. And that's when okay. you showed up. <laughs> all right. I got you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes a lot. So I'll keep that in mind this weekend. I'll go ahead and, and recock and try and get back out there again. Yeah, 10 a.m. is uh, is about the right time to go. 10 uh, and 11 is the uh, the magic moment. That's when they uh, start lunch. So that you'll finish by 12. The last time I was out there, the the gentlemen, the two that were interested in talking with me, they were asking me, do you want to stay for lunch and whatnot? And I know I had other commitments that day with the wife and whatnot. I think it was New Year's, actually, the last time I was out there. So this next time, I'll intend to stay there longer, eat the lunch, have a good time, wear my white, go on out. That's a pretty sound. What is that, a bird? (laughs) Yeah, how beautiful. Okay, that's a good (laughs) thing. All right. So uh, let's just go back and retouch the whole point about morality now. Is that not just the teaching of the Buddha, but every religion is a teaching in morality. They just have various ways to enforce it and various stories behind it. And the Buddha's method is to see the danger of immorality, see the dukkha, see the dissatisfactions immediately through our own uh, attitude. So the attitude is we're on guard. Not right. up two, three, four on guard, but to guard the way that the dog sleeps in the yard with his ear kind of cocked so that if anything makes a sound, he's there for it. Okay. Yep. And we have to be on, on, on guard like this, that we're listening or we're looking for this, uh, the attitude is either a loser's attitude or a winner's attitude. And now that we've got the attitude of being on guard, it's a winner's attitude. And so every circumstance, any little thing that happens, is that going to change your attitude? If somebody steps on your toe or pushes you in the in the line, are you going to change your attitude? Nope. Nope. I can maintain my attitude. Hello, friend. <laughs> you stepped on me again. <laughs> yes, sir. And that's the practice. And that's the whole thing. And when we have that mind at that level, then already we are not going to go out harming ourselves or others. That that's the noble mind right then and there. And the results of the noble mind is if you don't slug people because they stepped on you. Right. Just smile. That's okay. Right. Exactly. And that's the metaphor for the way that we do with life. That in fact, I just talked to a woman um, where she's working at the hotel and she thinks all the women at the hotel are catty and don't get along with her and uh, compete with her. And in fact, when she recognizes that's because she's afraid of them. Yep. Doesn't like to. Okay. So she so she gets her toes stepped on and she slugs back because she doesn't have the skills of recognizing that, hey, 
She needs to change her attitude right now. Right. To stop seeing these other co-workers as enemies and see them as as friends. They may not be competitive or catty at all. You're seeing that in their behavior because you're afraid. Yes, and that's how that colors our perception. And once we have that perception, it collapses the the options. Exactly. So now we're generating new uh attitude which gives new thoughts which gives new speech which gives new action which is not much at all and a new set of habits and now we can control our own destiny Um, when we're open to the dhamma it takes care of us when you're open to the dhamma you're choosing moment by moment what your destiny is right now And so the teachings of the Buddha is completely moral. Yeah. It's nothing but it, but it doesn't do it through a punishment reward system. It does it through wisdom. Right. And is this why he told Ananda that the whole of the holy life is friends? Good, good friends. Good. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. Right. Right. That's that wholesome attitude. And uh, you're not going to go around harming or hurting your friends. So you treat them very high, high quality, and that gives us a very high moral standing. Yeah. And this is our character. Mm -hmm. I have had several people in the United States uh, mention this, by the way. The first time that I heard it was from an American woman who went with me to the Cambodian monastery in um uh it was outside of washington dc it wasn't in silver springs i forgot exactly where it was but she she came back with the kind of feeling that she had been around someone that did live a a high quality moral life and she had been going to the catholic church i mean she was looking in a way and she saw something in there Later, years later, in fact, my mom had said, by comparing uh, what she saw at the Wat with the preachers that she's known, that the Buddhist monk have a very, very high moral standard that has nothing to do with rules. uh, It transcends rules. That it's an attitude. Morality is an attitude. And it's why people can... Well, that's why it's so hard to maintain is because the attitude becomes that of a victim and now we need a set of rules to manage things, to manage all of these victims out here who are out for revenge and and greed and ignorantly doing it. But when we all have the right attitude of friendliness, then we don't need any rules at all. Right. Now, what we've been talking about just now is actually in a book by Bhikkhu Buddhadasa called Dhammic Socialism. And he got into trouble with the CIA because of that and some other things. I mean, the CIA was hot to trot in the 1970s in Thailand. And they had counter. And here's something. They, there was a counter, there was a, I don't know what, the, but we called them counterinsurgents that actually were armed. They were guerrilla fighters and they had their own newspaper 
And they themselves chose Bhikkhu Buddhadasa as their mascot and put his name and face in their newspapers. So that, and he writes a book on Dhammic Socialism, and the CIA actually hires, the CIA actually hired a monk to go to watch Suman Mok to spy on Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. And this monk then, when he was there, confessed. Hmm. <laughs> he yeah. confessed that he had been sent there by the CIA, and then it actually came out. Yeah, so, but it all is about this book on Dhammic socialism. Yeah, to where if we can learn to cooperate and communicate together, ever how big that together is, and we don't need capitalism, we don't need rules, right. we don't need laws, right. we don't we don't need a lawnmower in every garage. And we don't right. need that many garages. Yeah, right. Mm. We could all just get along for one. Yeah, we can just get one lawnmower and one garage that's good enough for four or five cars. And then, you know, and we live communally. We live happily like that. And I hear that in his teachings. And I love that he talks about that when he talks about when you penetrate the truth of the things as they are, you see there is no religion. There's just what you're talking about. There's just morality. Mm -hmm. There's just trying to be here. Right, and, and in fact, there is no morality. There's only just there's no morality. There's only just a happy attitude. That's all it takes. Yes, right. And then we don't need any number of. We certainly don't need any sort of a idea of this big self or little self or any number of things. There, we could just be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing of it, huh? And we see this in the Bible. Even we tried to. We take it and we read it and we fuck it up, but it says <laughs> heaven can't come to yeah, earth until good. everyone's heard the word of God. Mm -hmm. Right? If you understand the terms correctly, it's, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. It's a mixture, but yeah. I mean, some of the best things that Buddha has to say is actually there in the Bible. Because Buddha Dasa yeah. was really big on the Bible. But he didn't, have to, he, didn't have, he didn't have to deal with Christians. He just had the Bible by itself to go by. <laughs> Right. Smart. What a and wonderful thing. The, from that. And probably the English version of the Bible was read through by Thais when they translated it. They probably corrected some of the mistakes that were in the English so that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa had a better version in Thai of the Bible than yeah. is common in the West. Funny how that works, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends upon whether you've got a friendly attitude when you're translating yep. the Bible. Or whether you've got yeah, the attitude, yeah. I got to get it right. I got to right. get it right. And if I have to yep. get it right, I'll screw it up bad. <laughs> oh, man, I never even thought about that before. That's such an amazing perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you put in the idea of monarchies and all these, I mean, we have a King James version of the Bible. How fucking crazy is it to read that and think of it as something else, you know? Holy crap. Wow. <laughs> That's exactly what you have. That's the Holy Bible yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's the holy thing. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole wow. shebang. And is this why when we hear about like uh Buddha Dhamma going to China and they ask him, you know, what's the most holy thing? He says, wide open, nothing holy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the most holy Every thing. Right. Everything is holy. There is yeah. nothing that is not holy. Depends right. upon the word how and how you use it. If you mean holy in yep. the sense of uh, special, then yeah. no. But everything right. is sacred. Everything is right. holy. 
That's why I go barefoot, you know, because it's in the Bible. Take off thy shoes, Moses, for thou art upon holy ground. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Everywhere we go is holy. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah. Well, I just said thank you for sharing with me tonight. It's so nice. It really fills my heart with joy to hear all of this and talk with you. Yeah. Right. So now we know for sure what morality is. It doesn't exist. The right. reality, the reality is, is that it's the attitude. When we don't have an attitude correct and we have a society to deal with, we have to create a morality in order to learn to get along. Yep. And when the mind is noble, we don't need morality. It doesn't exist. Just this. And yet when the when the mind, when the uh, attitude is correct, then we have the highest standard of morality. Morality of wisdom rather than the morality of rules. Right. Uh, <laughs> and this is why rights and rituals won't save us. They always go. Okay. Excellent, my friend. So let's go ahead and finish now. This has been a really fun talk. Yes, very much Thank so. You. Thank you so much, Kamarata. I'll talk to you soon, okay. my friend. Okay, bye-bye.